everybody. Welcome back to the 66th episode of Taps and Patience. I'm AJ with Design the Every... No. I'm AJ with Audacity Micro here with Harrison of Precision Ingenuity. We have new theme music because I stopped paying for the rights to the old theme music. I haven't decided on new music yet, so it's going to change, I think, every time. That might be kind of fun. That was, Hi, Harrison, exciting, doing? that was an exciting <laughs> intro I was not expecting. <laughs> really jamming out over here for a minute. <laughs> I, I figured stick with the the 80s music. Oh, that's all right. We'll get a disco ball in here or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how you doing? I'm, I'm tired, but doing all right. Today's been a long day and it's not over yet, but it is what it is. Are you are you beginning to learn the the ups and the downs of the job shop world? Yeah, I mean that's a whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, but. we can we can go into detail with that, but yeah, no, job shop job shop life is one of those things where the highs are high, the lows are lows and it's a wild ride in between. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to fix that and level it out a little bit more, but <laughs> yeah. You can only you can the this is my, you know, the number one problem with the job shop world is you don't know what's coming in tomorrow. And so yes. that is the number reason, number one reason that I want to get into the product space is because then I feel like you can level it out a little bit more. And I'm sure you can with a job shop space. But I mean, I was talking to my local shop here and they were dead to the point where they had to let a couple people go. And then mm. they just got hit with massive orders and now they're just they're swamped. And it's just like you never know what one week to the next is going to bring. Are you, are you going to be swamping? Are you going to be, you know, are you going to go a couple weeks where you're dead? And then whenever things get bad and you start letting people go, all of a sudden a ton of work comes in. Yeah. You know, I, I just think don't it's know. one of those things that bigger shops have an easier time with than smaller shops. Because when you're, you know, you're a one man shop, you're working for a couple customers. And, you know, when you have, three different customers that can't are giving you work, the chances of them being equally spaced are kind of poor. And there's a good chance that all three are going to hit at the same time. But when yeah. you have a bigger shop with a hundred customers, like it's a lot more likely that, you know, there's more points of randomness that can average out. Yeah. And that, and that is something where Zometry could be really good. But I mean, that's what it's for, really. That's, that's what it's for. But in my experience, the people that are the most successful of it, at least in the small shop setting, setting they have to be dedicated. Zometry, Zometry, because of the way the algorithms work and the way the the AI works to get you jobs, and I, I could be wrong, but this is what I feel like from the experience that I've had thus far, is that it doesn't really work as much as filler work unless you're hitting it really hard. And then you have to stay on it and you get good jobs, but then it's really hard to work with your local customers because you're always busy. And so I I think like you would have to be less picky about jobs or more picky about jobs. You'd have to be less picky about profitability and more picky about doing jobs that you can do right away. Like only yeah. take jobs that you have the tooling for and you have the materials on your shelf. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then I think you could do it. Yeah. And that might change when I get a five axis machine and all of a sudden a lot of these parts become a heck of a lot easier to just throw on and go and run. At least, you know, <laughs> one would, one would hope, you know, or at least I hope 
that, you know, it's the magic fix all button that it probably won't be, but one can hope. Yeah. I I'm one in a five axis now, now that I'm yeah. doing more of the job shop stuff, I'm seeing the light. Yeah. Yeah. So like we did some parts for a customer and we've done now we've done, I want to say 10 different versions of the same shape mm-hmm. of part, but just different lengths and thicknesses and features on the parts, but they're, they're all in the family, same family of parts and they're a six op part and it's over, it's probably about an hour and a half per part on the Tormach and it's six mm-hmm. ops and it's stainless steel 304 and it's like the perfect five axis part. It's like a, it's probably about three quarters of an inch thick by about four inches wide by about three inches, two to three inches deep. And it's okay. like, it's like the perfect five axis part where you could do it in two ops. It's got, it's got tight tolerance features on both ends of the part that need to be concentric. And so you, you know, you have to make sure you have to be very careful when you're flipping it to make sure everything lines up. And it's got drilled and tapped holes on like all the different faces coming in from different angles. And it's just like, it's one of those parts where it's, it's, it is kind of a complicated and cool looking part, but it's not horrible. It's just a lot of setup. And it's one of those parts where I see a ton of benefit out of a probe and Mm -hmm. it makes me curse the Tormach for not having a wireless probe right now. Yeah. So that's my, that's my number one complaint on the Tormach. The Tormach makes fantastic parts as long as you probe them in every single time. It seems like, and that could be part of my, my fault for having poor setup techniques, but I'm not sure. Cause I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So, okay. I need your advice on a part. I have a part that actually I have 20 parts that I'm making uh, that I was hoping to get done today and I wasn't able to figure it out. Plan A and plan B did not work. Okay. So the part is a small ring. It kind of looks like a, a crown. Okay. Or a simplified crown. It's got like a slot on the top and a slot on the bottom. It's a ring shape. Problem okay. is, it is 200 thou in diameter, and the walls are 15 thou. Stainless, 304. So it's like a teeny tiny little crown. And gotcha. I'm having problem with the op two work holding. Plan okay. A was to press fit it into a, a fixture like I used to do on my carabiners, but mm-hmm. that didn't work. That didn't have enough holding power. They would go flying. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm on, I'm on plan C right now, aren't I? Uh, plan B was, okay, screw it, just do soft jaws. With that crushed them. Mm-hmm. Plan C was do soft jaws, but put a, um, like put the, put a boss on the inside, like, uh, how mm-hmm. to, like keep fill it the center crushed. of the crown. Yeah, to keep it from getting crushed. And I made two of them. And they both came out kind of wonky. Mm-hmm. Like they were tilted for some reason. Like they didn't sit all the way down in the soft jaws, which could just be a soft jaw design thing. But also the second one I did, I could not get out of the soft jaws because the um, of the bosses in the middle. And I ended up having to remove the soft jaws from my vice and pull it off. And that damaged the part. Okay. 
I have two solutions for you. Okay. Okay. One of them I'm not sure you can do. The other one I know you can do, but it might be a little bit of a pain. Okay. Okay. First solution is I have dealt with this problem exactly, except on a much larger part. And I made an ID expanding soft jaw set using my vice. And what okay. I don't know is if with the flux vice, can you force the jaws apart and hold pressure? No, you cannot. Okay. So that option is going to be out. So what I did was I, I basically used the vice in reverse and used the, the, the four, which your parts are so small, you might be able to do it if you can get, it doesn't take much, but that's what I did was I, uh, I machined and I can, I can pull up and send you some images of it later, but I machined it like a half circle on both sets of soft jaws. Mm-hmm. And then I had a thin spacer in between the two and then you clamp it to release the part and you unclamp it when it separates it. That's what actually clamps onto the ID. Of the part, I could put a spring in the the flux vice, or uh, like clamp some rubber in there or something. Yeah, the other option would be to make yourself a small ID expanding mandrel out of some raw scrap material. Yeah, but that one I feel like there's a little more engineering and fiddling and getting it to actually work right. Which that... is why I which is why I did the vice thing for me. Yeah, so I have two backup plans right now. That was my first backup plan, was to make some sort of expanding ID mandrel thing. The problem with that is it would have to be, I, I don't even, let's see. Yeah, I don't even know if a um, A80 screw would fit on the inside to expand it out. I'm trying to remember. The, it might fit, though, because I think I think an A80 flathead is an eighth of an inch. And do you you have a 3D printer? I do have a 3D printer. Okay. I've 3D printed work holding for stuff like this in the past. Um, Mm. Have you thought about that for making 3D printing a mandrel that you could then. uh, So here's an, here's an idea. Could you 3D print a mandrel and you could even do a light machining pass around it to true it up. um, So you could oversize it slightly and then machine around it. And then you could have a uh, piece of material go through the center. It doesn't have to be a bolt. It, it could be something that you could make. And then you could nut it from the backside so you can have potentially a larger mm. thread. That could be. I could do that. Just as a thought. Yeah. Because it wouldn't. It doesn't sound like it'd be a very big or take long to 3D print something for that. It would take it would take four minutes, <laughs> and then you could. The biggest thing would f- be finding something that you can shove down the middle, and maybe you could machine something like a like a cone, a cone piece with uh, threads on the very end out of some scrap material, and then you know maybe slit, slitting saw it off or something. Um, do it in one op, and then you could nut it from the bottom. If if a screw is not going to have enough threads, or if a if a not eighty is, you need something bigger than that potentially. I wonder. I wonder if I could just do go back to the tight fitting pocket idea, except put a drop of super glue in there. I wonder if that would work. It might, but for twenty of them, and you could probably do it to get through it. And it's okay. You can't do it in one op because there's a slot on both sides. 
Correct. Yeah. Do you- so in retrospect, there's two things I would have done differently. One, or two things I could have done. I think what I would do if I did this part again, I would buy square bar. I would machine like five of them in a row and then flip them into soft jaws and machine, you know, five of them. And because they would be in a bar, they would self-locate and self-orient. Okay. Or I could do them in my fourth axis and tab them off. Okay. That was going to be my next question is, could you, could you do all the ID work on something, stick it in your Tormach fourth axis and do the OD work and then tap it off? Like, I don't know if those slots have to have flat bottoms or if the, because that would be the only downside to doing that way is that any slots you put in it, because they wouldn't be parallel to the axis, they'd be at a 90. They would have the radius of whatever tool you used to cut them. Yeah, there, there is a, um, like if you're doing a cross section of the, so if you're cross section, cross sectioning the ring. It mm-hmm. would look like a like an H or half of an H, where there's a large diameter and then a smaller inner diameter and then a large diameter on the bottom again. Kind of like an you. Oreo. It's like the negative you. shape of an Oreo. I got you. That makes sense. So I need to hit it from both directions. I could tap it. Could tap it off on the fourth, but at this point, I have done the majority of my op ones, and I'm out of material or low on material. Could you do a? Do you have a slitting saw where you could do both sides in one op? I could not do the ID bore. Why not? The if you slit it, if you if you if you did all the work from one side, and then you got a slitting saw that was small enough you could fit down. This could be. This might oh, be beyond what you could I do, do not today. Have a slitting saw that small? No. Yeah. This might be beyond what you could do today, but I'm thinking about as a learning opportunity for a potential future work, could you have done it all from one side? You do the larger diameter, the smaller diameter, and then have a slitting saw that you can do the larger diameter on the opposite side to do it all from one op. Yeah, that would be possible. That's a good, good point. It would be still a pretty small key seat cutter, but yeah, but I mean, Harvey would have something I'm sure. Yeah. I, I just got a Harvey, uh, not, well, not a slitting saw, a key seat cutter today that I can use for, the salami slice method on the Haas. Cause that was one problem I having. I kept wanting to do salami slice method on things, but I'm having mm-hmm. a hard time finding a slitting saw arbor that will fit in the Haas. And so I just gotcha. bought like the biggest, um, Woodruff cutter that I could find KC cutter. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. So, okay. Yeah. That, that's going to be a, a challenging part. It sounds like for sure. Yeah. I, I I got to the point today where I was like just kind of out of ideas and tired, so I just kept running the op ones. Gotcha. So I'm mostly done with the op ones now. There's some some pretty small features in there, so they take about ten minutes each, maybe twelve minutes for op one. Um, the op two should be a little bit quicker. Yeah. You. How much cutting force does it actually have on it? My biggest tool is a sixteenth inch four flute. Hmm. Okay. So you won't need a whole lot of cutting force. No. Yeah, I would I would almost try to 3D print something if you got extra enough extra material just to see if you can come up with something. There's been a lot of fixtures that I've done as 3D printing that have all worked really well. And I've held some pretty pretty wild parts with some 3D prints. Mm-hmm. But 
it all depends on. Uh, I would definitely do a light cut if you did that, just to true everything up. But yeah, I. It's too bad that there are um, features I need to clock with each other on the front and the back. If it weren't for that, I have um, some collet chucks that I could use. I don't know if you saw the video, but I it's... made a base plate that'll fit the same uh, collet chucks that the MicroArc uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, I have an ER16 little thingy laying around that I could have used. Does the... Um... Does the OD is the OD perfectly cylindrical? Is it does it have any curvature yes. to it, or just perfect? Yeah, cylindric. Could you on uh, on the op two side there there is a cone, but the op the 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 part that I cut in op one is a straight cylinder. Could you you have a th- you have a mini three jaw right? Yes. And you can't hold it with that. I need to clock the uh, front and back uh, features. Are you cutting something that, that's allowing you to clock those? In the soft jaws, yeah. Okay. Because C- the only I thing mean, that I... Could you could you 3D print something that goes on top of the cap of your three jaw that you could use to clock it and hold it with your three jaw? Because that would give you pressure on three points, which would help mm-hmm. limit your warpage. And if it's just a clocking yeah. issue, if you could come up with a way to clock it using your three jaw, that might be the best method. I thought about um, making like soft jaws for my three jaw mm-hmm. or, or some sort of like mandrel thing that I clamp in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I couldn't figure out the clocking. I mean, I guess worst case scenario, the feature on the top is just a slot. Kind of like you would put a screwdriver in, except it's a little bit off center for some reason. Um, I could put a gauge pin in that slot and sweep it in and then tighten the vise. That would be rather tedious, but it would work. Yeah. To sweep in 20 of these, but. Eh. Yeah. You got a, you got a lot of different options, a lot of different ways to do it. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm just spitballing as many ideas as I can throw at you because I've been in that situation. And the, the hardest thing in, when you get your back against the wall is thinking up new ideas. So hopefully one of these ideas that I'm throwing out, I'm not saying they're all great ideas, uh, but um, you can get by with some pretty sketchy things. And honestly, they end up usually working a lot better than you would think. Ooh, what if I cut like a uh, aluminum or Delrin slug? And stuck it in the part before clamping it in the soft jaws. Yeah, that could work. That might be the way. That'd be a very, it's going to be a very tiny little slug, but it should work. Yeah, just to act as something inside to whenever you go to clamp it. Yeah. Yeah, that could be the ticket. I might do that next. So the part's due tomorrow. Did I mention that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're going to have a late night. Yeah, also I have another job due tomorrow. The other job is all blocked with holes. It's a Tormach job. And then I have this job. Okay. So. Fair enough. There will be a video about this. <laughs> You'll get to see it eventually. You won't be able yeah. to see the part. Yeah. But there'll be a story. Yeah. Did you hear about uh, PD manufacturing? Did you see that Instagram Mm-mm. story? Mm-mm. Okay. I'll, I'll explain that to you off. 
camera. This is a PD manufacturing job. Okay. Gotcha. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I can tell my story real quick about my fun adventure. Um, so we're in the craziness getting ready for the shop. And yeah. right now, basically two weeks from yesterday is the when the Haas gets delivered, the new machine. Two weeks from yesterday. Okay. So it's the twenty second. Or twenty third. Twenty third. Twenty third. Yeah. Twenty third is when the new machine's coming in. And Dude, that's so, so exciting. Oh, I'm so ready. And so we're kind of in crunch time for getting the new shop ready. And on this last Sunday, we were working on so the, the shop currently has two garage doors on it. One of them is on the front of the building that's gonna end up going away and our offices are gonna go there. The other one's on the side of the building. When we went to deliver, when we're when they're delivering the machine, we asked them which door they wanted to use. They wanted to use the front door because there's a concrete pad on that side. On the side door, it's just a gravel uh, area, and so. But there was an awning over the front of the building that mm-hmm. went over that front door. We were planning on taking it off at some point, anyways, and they asked if we could. You know, they they wanted to use the front door, but they wanted that awning off. So on Sunday, me and my dad got up there and took it off. And long story short, I ended up falling through the roof. Whoops. <laughs> and uh, or through the awning. And I busted up my leg and it has been so sore and black I, and blue. I am very glad you did not get hurt. <laughs> I am too. Well, I other than too. getting beat up a little bit, but yeah. The 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 long and the short of it is it was a metal roof and it had about a half inch or quarter inch foam on the underside, which I don't understand why in my head. I knew it was foam, mm-hmm. um, but I, it looks solid. And so I just out of habit walked out on it after we had removed the metal and I took about one step and I just fell. Thankfully I didn't fall through the roof and like go to the ground. I fell and I fell forward and I landed on my stomach, but I tore up my left shin just from like hit, like rubbing against the board. And then I hyperextended my leg. Mm -hmm. And so it has just been, I've been hobbling around all over the place, but nothing broke. Just, just my, uh, pride. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a good story. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good story. So, but other than that, man, it's just trying to get trying to close off a lot of jobs. Um, we've we've got almost we've got it down to single digits of open jobs currently. And um, our biggest customer, it, it actually ended up working out really good for us. First of the year, they're changing ERP systems and they're basically hmm. taking two or three weeks of the month of January to get that all implemented. And so they can't inventory any parts and they can't send out any POs <laughs> for new parts during that time frame, which falls basically perfectly in the time that we're trying to get into the new shop. And so my guess is as soon as, and, and, and they're going to start on the 19th. So the week that we're going to be moving in is the week that they're going to be opening up and start sending out a whole bunch of POs. And so it's going to be good because we don't have any active jobs right now. Um, from them 
but it's I'm guessing that the week that we go to move in the machine, we're just going to get pounded with a whole bunch of new POs. Yeah, you're going to get so. that new machine and uh, have some trial by fire there. Yeah, so it's it's both exciting and nerve wracking because we're going to be setting we're going to be moving machines, getting everything in place, and then there's probably going to be an avalanche of parts coming our way. But it's it'll be fun, um, and then I am trying to come up with a demonstration piece that I can make for the shop on the five axis. Mm. So uh, just something that I want to make for both me and Weston probably to have on our desks just to kind of show our capabilities and potentially give out. I have a couple of ideas and I'm not going to spoil any of them right now. Okay. But I'd like it to be something that you can stick on your desk. Think of like your better desks, except mm-hmm. if you had access to a five axis and wanted to go crazy. And so yeah. I'm trying to think of something that you can have on your desk that serves a purpose, but is like, it's like something that you would try to 3d print instead of machine. Yeah. And so I've got a couple ideas that I'm, I'm working through. You could do, this is my first thought, do a pencil cup that is basically like, um, almost a sphere, like a, like a kind of tall sphere with the, you know, the top and the bottom cut off and a hole for you can put pencils in, but then ISO grid the whole outside. Yeah. And you could could only do that on a five axis because it's, um, you could might do, you might could do that on a four axis. The walls would be, would get funny at the edges. That's true. They would. Yeah. That's not a bad one. I I have a different idea. I'm going for, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to spoil it too much. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to refrain from spoiling it just in case we do it. If we don't do it, I'll let you know what I was thinking, but okay. (laughs) But I have an idea and I just want to, I want to make some parts that just screams, you know, new capabilities basically yeah so Twice anyways fun. yeah so i'm looking forward to that i'm gonna have to learn five axis which will be fun uh because this will be it's my first bad infusion yeah i don't think it's gonna be that bad but like everyone says it's easy and then they like show videos and it's like there's a lot of steps that you guys didn't show that are i'm sure it's just a one-time setup deal but it's, that's the thing i need i need the one-time setup like start to finish everything we need to do <laughs> and go three plus two is basically like it, it's super super easy like there's yeah no problems there getting clean tool path with full five axis moves is where mm. it gets a little bit funky yeah yeah and we're gonna have some of that but i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome whatever whatever we end up doing with it it's gonna be so much better than what we currently have I mean, we're gonna, we're going to be going up from like a like a rubber band gun to like a full on automatic <laughs> in terms of capabilities. Yep. But it's it'll be exciting. And I got I actually had my big customer. Uh, they sent me a about fifty parts to or uh, not fifty. It was seven different parts. It was about fifty to sixty total parts based on the quantities, but seven different parts to quote. And they were the biggest parts that we've ever seen from them. They'll all fit on the new machine. The problem is some of the parts have tapped holes on the side and you <laughs> might have to invest into a right angle, a right angle head for the machine. Ooh. 
So and five axis and a right angle head. Yeah, because they're they're way too big to. We're talking like forty inch long parts that are yeah. thirty inch long parts that have holes tapped on the end, and it's like I'm gonna have twenty six inches in Z, but um, that's not. <laughs> I can't. I'm not gonna stand that part up twenty six inches and tap the end of it. So <laughs> yeah. So right angle head tool is gonna be the gonna be the ticket for that. So we'll see. Lots you of, almost lo- go ahead. Say so you seem to do a lot of those parts where you almost need some sort of like custom dedicated machine, like a router that's got like you know forty eight inches in X and like an inch in Y, so you can yeah do parts I'm, like this. I'm gonna say something, and Dylan, if you're listening to this, you can message me after you've heard this part of the talk because he made, he brought up a very good point and I've been thinking about it ever since we bought this machine. And this is the perfect example. If I'd gotten the Haas five axis machine, I could have just tilted the table at B nine at B 90 and mm-hmm. then drilled and tapped it. And, it, and you know, with the length of this part, I could have been hanging into the chip tray if it needed to. And I could still drill and tap the ends without needing a right angle head. Um, there's lots of reasons we didn't end up going that route, but that, that is the number one reason I w- was heavily considering just getting a dedicated five axis like that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of good points um, just to kind of peek behind the curtain. One of the reasons we didn't go that route is because I'd like to where we look, we filled up that shop in CAD with all the different future machines we're looking at getting. And I'm thinking about getting a different machine and moving the five axis trunnion over to a to it to a smaller machine okay. where it takes up almost the full table size and then turning the VF3 into my large plate work machine. The VF3. And so that's kind of the one of the major deciding factors that kind of led me down that route is because I could get a smaller machine, move my trunnion table over to it and then have a big plate work machine. Um, for a relatively small investment. That and makes Haas, sense to me. And Haas just did a wicked deal on that machine. So uh, we basically got the five axis trunnion for basically free. Yeah. What trunnion is it? It's the TRT 210. Okay. So it's a, I think it's a nine inch platter. And most of the five axis parts that we're, we're going to be doing, I feel like with the, 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 UMC 500 would be too big for, and you'd have to have really tall riser blocks because most of the parts that we've done so far that would be great for five axis have been under a six by six cube in size. Okay. Yeah. So like most of the parts that would be perfect. And I feel like the, the UMC 500 would be overkill for that. So that was the other reason we kind of lean towards the, the Trunion method. So. Makes sense. And I, and I had a, I had a thought because once I get that five axis on there, I'm not going to want to take it off. And so if I have a really long part, that trunnion could be in the way. But I was thinking most of the parts that are long, they're long and skinny. So I can probably rotate my axis to B90 and I could have the part go in front of the trunnion and leave it on the table. Because I have 26 inches in Y. Mm, yeah. And so if I push the trunnion back a little bit, I can rotate it to B90 or to the front. It really doesn't matter. It just needs to be towards the front or towards the back. Rotate it to B90. And as long as the part's less than, I don't know, 12 inches or, or you know, whatever the length ends up being, I can probably still use my full 40 and Y or an X 
and uh, machine parts without actually taking off the trunnion. Yeah, it might be a little bit scary when you're on the the dark side of the moon with your spindle behind your trunnion. But well, it just depends on which side I put it. Well, yeah, you just put the trunnion the other way. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I don't know if that's actually going to work, um, but I was thinking about it the other day, and as long as I got enough space to be able to do that, um, and I might have to have be on the dark side of the moon just because having B90 the other way could still potentially hit the head of the machine. Oh, yeah, it's true. There's more clearance on the front of the spindle than on the back of the spindle anyway. Yeah, so. Plus, having it towards the front, if we ever want to do load up robot loading, having it more towards the front would be better for that too. But regardless of all that, I, I think I'll have a lot of space if I rotate to B90 to actually machine full-length parts without taking it off. If I if I if I set it up right, yeah. So let's see, your machine will have forty inches of travel now, right? You said an X, forty and X, twenty six and Y. Okay, so your first part you're going to run on that machine is going to be like eighty inches long, knowing you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm working on quoting a part that's thirty inches long for that okay. machine. Not for the Tormach. Yeah, no, no, this one's not for the Tormach. Don't tip me, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I'm not planning on doing that one for the Tormach. I keep taking tall parts right with, that need like small but really long tools. I need yeah. to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother thing that I want to. We're just we're going to be entering a whole new level of machining, and there's going to be a huge learning curve. And I have I have delusions of grandeur that we're going to try to obtain. So we'll see how it goes. Now, I would be willing to bet that this learning curve is going to be much easier for you than your first, like, let's start a machine shop learning curve. So yes. I mean, you can do it. Yes. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that I can do it. It's just that pushing that cycle start button is going to be a lot more expensive if anything goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have a very healthy respect in the beginning, but I... I I will say this, though. In talking to some other individuals, I think I've actually been surprisingly competitive on my machine time with my Tormach more than I gave it credit for, um, just because of how hard we try to push it and mm -hmm. how not hard a lot of other people push their machines. Especially like in anything where you would not normally use tooling over half inch to three eighths. I'm actually pushing my machine hard enough that I think I could be very more, I could be a lot more competitive than I thought I was um, compared to newer machines, at least in stainless and aluminum. You know, it's funny because I, I was sitting here doing the, some, some numbers. I'm actually more competitive in stainless than I am in aluminum on the Tormach. Interesting. And the reason is, is because the Tormach doesn't have the rapids or the yeah. horsepower to run aluminum at the high feeds and speeds that a lot of other shops can do but the stainless because everyone's running slower rpms and slower feeds my tormach with a quarter inch tool is actually relatively competitive to a couple of the other people talking to in in terms of mrr so i ran so much stainless in december and i figured out it's actually faster to do it on my tormach than on my haas because the best thing my Haas has going for it is RPM, and you just can't use it in stainless. Other than tiny tools. Yeah. Yeah. 
Although, that being said, okay, and this is something that I'll open up to the community some, is that, you know, what are the kinds of, of surface footage feeds and speeds that you can be running in a high feed strategy for stainless? Because I've heard some people, like, typically our surface footage range when we're running stainless with the with the Haas tooling, and we're running more of a traditional roughing strategy. Mm-hmm. Typically, between 200 and 300 is kind of the, 300 is kind of the, the max surface footage range. Yep, that's but about I've, where I land. But I've heard of some people running, like, really shallow depths of cut, but really deep, high-efficiency milling strategies, and... And it sounds like they're running, you know, between 400 and 500 SFM just because of how light their cuts are. And I would be curious to see, you know, the advantages for doing it that way or the time savings or MRR and all that kind of stuff. So I was looking at some tooling from Helical or yeah, Helical, and they had a half inch tool. It was a seven flute for stainless and you could do up to a two inch depth of cut with like, with like a five to 10% tool diameter step over. And I forget the surface footage that was recommending. I think it was in the 400 range, but the MRR on it was insane. It was like, so to put it into context, on the Tormach, the, the highest MRR value I've been able to get in stainless is around 0.6 uh, cubic inches a minute. And that tool with the speeds and feeds recommended by Helical was in the neighborhood of 8 to 9 cubic inches a minute. Wow. Was and that a half-inch tool? or That was a half-inch tool. Okay, for being two inches long. Yeah. And so just absolutely insane compared to what my Tormach can do. And mm-hmm. so as we are getting into bigger and bigger parts, that's going to be an area that I'm going to want to experiment in and see how high I can get it. Cause while I know high feeds and speeds are not the end all be all in the job shop world, I want to have, I want to be able to get my parts out as fast as possible um, to be able to react to my customers. And just because there's two of us and, um, basically my number one customer has said as many parts as you can take, we'll give you. And so I want to see what I can do with the new machine for that. Yep. So how many parts can I get done in a week? And without having any kind of robot automation, that means getting as many parts done in one day as possible. So we'll see. Yeah. I, my templates have been working pretty well for me. I need to fill them out a little bit more. Like I need to, I think I need to build some more like kind of generic fixtures. Like for example, earlier this week, last week, at some point I built a um, way to mount call it chucks to my, my mill table to the Saunders table. There's a YouTube video if anyone wants details on that. It's good. And that like, I've already used that thing like four times and I've, um, started to build out a template around that fixture. And so that's been nice and opened up like a lot of, you know, it, it's made a lot of work that would have been more difficult, like pretty easy. And I just need, I need a couple more things like that. I, my next plan, and I was about ready to make this part before I realized I, I made a terrible design mistake. Remember that little self-centering vice I got that was a little bit smaller than I thought it would be? 
I showed it mm-hmm. in the Christmas episode. So I was going to mount that thing to the micro arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could use that, except I, I ran into this problem where the, like the size of that vice and the position of the mounting holes on the micro arc mm-hmm. are such that the vice is always covering up at least one of the holes on the micro arc at any time. Oh, and man. so you have to mount through the plate to mount it to the micro arc, but you also have to mount the vice through the plate. And so there's no possible way to get all the mounting holes or all the mounting screws in. So I may have to make like a, a plate that goes on the micro arc that, and then a plate that goes on the vice with screw holes to screw them together, which is kind of annoying, but. Have you thought about making a, or having it made a add on to the vice to, or add on to the micro arc where kind of like how Dylan did his vice. Yeah allows you to kind of rotate it i have thought about that and like the flux work holding 90 degree adapter thingy that they have for their flux bucks mm-hmm. and that way i could kind of do a pseudo five axis thing honestly that would be amazing get a flux puck adapter okay okay this needs to happen now we need a flux puck adapter to the five x or to the to the to the micro arc and then mm-hmm. a 90 degree plate to a, to another flux puck for a, and then that to a vice. So you can they rotate make these. the, yeah, they so make them. Rot- it's like a, yeah, it's a 90 degree adapter with a flux puck on the end and you can rotate the 90 degree adapter or the, the vice on the end. And yeah. so you get all the same degrees of freedom as a five axis, but in 15 degree increments. Actually, all you and need it's is manual. The, yeah. All you need is an adapter. You did, sorry, you don't need two flux puck adapters. You just need the one adapter to the micro arc that has a that comes down low with a flux puck um, adapter, and then adapt that to your vice. So you only need one one flux puck adapter. That would be yes. okay. That needs to. But happen. Yeah, they he already has this. Or uh, I don't think um, Ken has been making the flux bucks yet or well he hasn't been selling them yet i think he's still kind of um in the r&d phase trying to get that production up and running again but like the the old guy whatever his name was he had these that needs to happen it's just a matter of buying one that needs to have a five axis yeah yeah that would be amazing that's a great way and i have discovered those locating pins in the bottom of the Flux work holding soft jaws. Those are the best pins I have ever used. Yeah, I'm going to use those on all my fixtures now. Those looked really cool. Like that in that video and how that worked. I really like that. Yeah. And you get them for free whenever you order a new pair of soft jaws. Can you order them on their own? Yes, you can. They're okay. a little bit expensive on their own, but they come with soft jaws. Though I am trying to talk Ken into like bulk selling me soft jaws, not as kits. Because they normally come in like a set of three and they have the two locating pins and like they each have a, a my brain's going to going to grub screw, but that's the British term, a, a set screw. They all have a yeah. set screw and it's like, just, just sell me the blank soft jaws in bulk. I'll buy like 10 at a time or whatever. So yeah, that'd be a great idea because then you don't have to give, give up the hardware and you can just sell, you can sell it as just the raw uh soft jaws you can sell it as a kit with all the hardware and you can sell all the hardware separate from the soft jaws if people want to yeah buy that yeah i like that 
So I'll I I'm good on soft draws right now. I bought like four or five sets from him, and they actually last me a lot longer than I thought they would. You can kind of rearrange them to always get fresh thing, fresh um, sides, faces, and then you can machine down a quarter of an inch like twice. And so mm-hmm. I actually get like 24 uses or something like that out of each set of three soft jaws. So I can't can't really complain about that. No, no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's huge. But that's cool. <sighs> See, other than that. We did some renovations in in my shop. Did you see those on on Instagram or anything? Yeah. So the the grinding room used to be in what we called the dirty dungeon, which was the last horse stall left over from when my shop used to be a barn. Mm-hmm. And that room has now been enclosed entirely with a real wall and real windows and a uh, flappy door. And my air compressor is in there and it makes a huge difference in sound outside. The air compressor is now quieter than the mill. And that's awesome. It is so nice. And then inside that room, I mean, obviously the air compressor is still loud, but when the air compressor is not running, the mill's really quiet. So, yeah. And there's nice lighting. The room also got about three feet smaller. So the mm-hmm. like the machining portion of the shop is now larger. What else did I do? Oh, I rearranged my workbenches. So now I am kind of in a more compact cell. And I built my computer into one of my workbenches. I I was using my old laptop to uh, in the shop. And I, because it was a laptop, I was able to put a monitor on a monitor stand and close the laptop and like kind of slide it up between the toolbox that's underneath the workbench and the, 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 the top of the workbench so it's not taking up room. And that has also been really nice because I used to walk, you know, 20 feet every time I needed to go change a program. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I can't change programs on the controller of the Haas if I don't put them on the internal memory. And the internal memory is too small for basically 100% of my programs. So, Oh, no. That's annoying. Well, okay. So there is the hard drive that I can DNC from. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the, the memory memory. And the hard drive, I think, is like eight gigs or something or maybe it's eight no it's more than eight megabytes i don't know it's plenty big but the internal memory is like a megabyte so if the program is bigger than a megabyte which all of mine are because i'm using tiny tools and lots of surfacing then Mm -hmm. i can't edit them on the control so i have to go back to the computer and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth gotcha yep i think the i mean my Haas is only going to have one gig of memory unless i want to pay to unlock the hard drive they actually stick in the stupid thing which is a whole nother topic like i won't go too deep into down this rabbit hole because every other machinist out there is gonna understand where i'm coming from yeah. but there's cer- there's there are certain features on the haas machines where i support the idea that you pay for the features that you need okay i do support that but if the feature has existed for you know 10 plus years it needs to become standard or at least standard on machines that make sense. And my number one complaint for that is, well, it used to be rigid tapping, but now that's on, that's now standard on most machines, which I couldn't believe it wasn't. I couldn't believe that it wasn't for the longest time. The other one is high speed, high feed or high speed machining on not being a standard on their SS machines. Like I can understand it on their default machines, but on your, anyways, it's a whole rabbit hole. I won't go down it. But there are certain features that just need to be standard at this point 
Uh, another one being maybe go up from a gig to, you know, four gigs or something, mm-hmm. you know, anyways, regardless of all that stuff, it'll be an amazing new machine. <laughs> so, so I have encountered the first issue with my Haas, the first oh. like machine maintenance issue. What's that? It's not keeping me from running right now, but it's getting a little bit annoying. So taking a step back, like I said, in December, I noticed, or I was running like all stainless Mm -hmm. and I was starting to see some symptoms that kind of made me wonder if the draw bar wasn't quite working as well as it should. Okay. For one, it's always made a little bit of a popping noise, but that popping noise has gotten a little bit louder and that's a sign Mm -hmm. of the draw bar needing maintenance. And then... I also, on one of the larger, oh, actually it was this tool right here, the, this long one that I was running. This is a 3 8 end mill that's. Oh my goodness. What are you doing? Two and a half inch stick out or something. That was the, the stainless part where I used the 10 thou end mill that was two inches long. But the, I noticed that that tool ended up with, and I don't remember the term for it. It's not galling, but there's like a, a type of corrosion you get when you have two tight surfaces that are together and they vibrate or something yeah. like that. I don't remember what that's called, but I noticed that on that tool, which it's granted, it's like, that's kind of a dumb tool to be running in this machine. But I also noticed it on my three eighths inch rougher and, or excuse me, three sixteenths inch rougher which I was pushing pretty hard, but it's like, okay, I guess I'll back off from the speeds and feeds a little bit. And it, like, it just kind of stuck in the back of my head. Yeah. I, and, I, I just watched a Rego fix video on this very topic. Oh, really? I'll see if I can find that video and send it to you. But if you end up needing your spindle reground, I didn't know this, but they can actually, you can hire services to come out and they'll regrind your, your spindles Ooh, and keep in it place. In, in place. Ooh, that would be that would be worth it. And so if that becomes a major issue and it starts messing up all your different holders, there are I don't know where they are or what they are, but in Rico's Fix's video, they claim that there's services where they can come out and regrind them in in machine. That would be nice. Because um, I have noticed a little bit of like pitting and stuff on the inside of my spindle. Yeah. But Okay, so that was my first sign. And then just the other day, I was cleaning the the taper as best I could. And I noticed there was a little bit of the plastic dust that was rampant in this machine um, when I first got it. Because they were running small tools in acrylic. And it made this like fine powder. It was almost clay-like when it stuck to stuff and mixed with coolant. And I had like a, a rag and I was kind of, you know, clean on the inside or as an alcohol wipe or something. And I noticed some of that was on the end of it, or I guess it could have been silvery white grease. I don't know. And then today though, is where it started to really be a problem. And now I believe what is happening is the draw bar is not getting reset all the way to the clamped position and it's not hitting that sensor sometimes during tool changes. So about one in 20, maybe one in 30 tool changes, it will alarm out and stop. So yeah, that's, I think as soon as I'm done with this um, current batch of work here, which will be, well, hopefully tomorrow, fingers crossed. um, I think I'm going to need to tear down my 
the head of my thing and uh, lubricate the draw bar and clean it out and yada yada. Yeah. Yep. I'm gonna try to replace the Belleville washers. I saw some some comments about it not being possible on the spindle, but I don't know if that's true yet or not. And this is a weird spindle that Haas doesn't acknowledge. There's zero information about the OM with the 40k spindle. So interesting. The, don't ruin it. Yeah, I'm not gonna ruin it. It's working now, and I'm not gonna push it, but. If I can get the draw bar out and lubricate the washers at least, mm-hmm. that should be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Just take it easy and you should be okay. Yeah. Oh, the other issue I have noticed, and this is actually why I was cleaning the spindle, and I think I have improved at very least, is I would dial out the run I would dial in the run out on a tool. Then it, the tool would go into the ATC and then it went back into the spindle and my runout would be wildly worse. Hmm. And I think that was because of like a chip that was stuck to the inside of my taper. I haven't verified it again after getting that chip out, but I did notice an improvement in the uh, next tool that I dialed in. So hopefully, enough. hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll help, but. I don't know. Machine just needs some TLC. Yeah. I've been very lucky that it hasn't had any issues. Like, none. It has the issue where if it rapids, it thinks one of the motor encoders is loose. So I keep it at 50% rapids, and that just fixed that issue completely. And there were some cheap metal screws missing. But other than that, I've had zero issues with this machine until now. So can't complain about the uh, $18,000 machine from 2006. Yeah, having one maintenance issue. So, yeah, no, that'll be good. I'm. I we will probably end up getting a used machine in our shop at some point. Hmm. I would like to once we get kind of grounded and the dust settles and we kind of get into a groove of things again. I would like to trade out the Tormach for potentially a DT. Slash brother okay. style machine. Um, whatever machine gets replaced, whatever machine replaces the Tormach needs to have a, a strong fourth axis on it. Because mm-hmm. that is going to be the biggest reason that we are hanging on to the Tormach at this point. Um, is that it is the only machine we have with a fourth axis. And there are certain parts that have to have a fourth axis to be able to run. Yep. Um, so... Um, and I think a, a DT brother style machine with the forks fourth axis would be an awesome because you could use it for fourth axis work or you could use it for just being a fast machine, but being able to pull double duty would be awesome. So can I make some administrative notes here before we wrap up? Yeah, go for it. Okay. We put out a call every now and then on the podcast that is if you are a small business that um, offers a physical service or makes a physical product, then we will give you a free plug on our show. And we got a message from Elijah Langworthy at Nocturnal Welding. He specializes in aerospace welding. I believe he said, I am looking at his Instagram profile now, which I'll link down in the description. And he appears to have a lot of like aluminum and stuff. So, if you are needing a high-end welder, he is in California. Uh, look up 
Nocturnal Welding at nocturnalwelding.com. There's free shout out for this episode. Um, nice. Also, we are not only a, a podcast on podcast players now, but we are also on YouTube. So right now it's on the Audacity Micro YouTube channel. I'm still uploading some of the backlog. I've got about 10 episodes left. It takes about four hours for me to upload an episode on my uh, country internet. So it's going a little bit slow, but we actually have more than doubled our audience by um, throwing these up on YouTube. So hi, Mm -hmm. everybody on YouTube. You guys are now the majority of our listeners. That's crazy. So... Yeah, it's more than my mom. Like, is, is does your mom watch on YouTube? Does she does not? <laughs> it's not us for sure. Um, so, uh, if you're listening on YouTube, yes, we exist on normal podcast players. If you're watching on normal podcast players and you prefer YouTube, we're on YouTube. Uh, I turn off mid-roll ads so you don't get any ads in the middle of the podcast. Just one at the beginning, at the end. And fun fact: we get about five thousandths of a cent for your view. So, yeah. <laughs> or, no, I'm sorry. Five thousandths of a dollar. So that would be half a cent, right? We get about half yeah. a cent for your your view. That's actually more than I thought. Yeah, it's not bad. My my YouTube channel has done shockingly well. So here's a couple stats. So I, I was looking at this earlier today. In the lifetime of my YouTube channel, which I believe started in 2017, my YouTube channel has made two thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. in what are we at seven years approximately probably like mm-hmm. six and a half or something two thousand dollars 400 of that has been in the last 30 days nice so it's like oh that's actually a useful amount of money from youtube for the first time ever mm-hmm. also i have i think a little bit uh, a little bit over four thousand subs or yeah oh i'm sorry i'm at about 4600 subs and a thousand of those have been in the last about 30 days. Wow. So that's cool. I, I published the, the video that's like, hey, I'm a job shop now. And YouTube was like, oh, we like you now. And it's like, oh, this is actually might be a part of my business going forward. So <laughs> I'm I'm making about 13 bucks a day right now without publishing a video. Nice. So that is like, nice. oh, that 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 is a useful amount of money. That's like, you know a job less per month that I have to take basically. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, got anything else? The only problem with this is going to be really hard for me to do the outro with this music. It's such good music. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that time of the show where we get to say goodbye until next time. So uh, for all of you that have, been listening to us we appreciate it starting off 2024 with a lot of changes for both of us and we'll just see how it goes for the next year um this is harrison with precision ingenuity signing out with aj from audacity micro formerly designed everything bye <laughs> <laughs>